Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. <clears throat> today is May 11, 2017, and today we're, uh, we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're currently on page 38, and we're starting with the uh, third paragraph, and we're going to read through two paragraphs on page 38 today and comments on both. Uh, today's readers, who do we have today? We have Sharon B. on the 12 Steps. We have Julie S. on the 12 Traditions. And the readers of the text, we have Leslie M., Katie G., and Penny C. The, uh, the share ID for yesterday, uh, which was Wednesday, May 10th, the 7 a.m. share ID is 9924. That's 9924. We had a little glitch for the 10 a.m., so we got two share ID numbers. If you want to listen to the 10 a.m. for yesterday, Wednesday, May 10th, that would be 9925 and 9926. That's 9925 and 9926 for the 10 a.m. Okay, the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. And we welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, and that's to carry its message to the compulsive reader who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm now going to ask uh, Sharon B. to get us started with the 12 steps. Good morning. Can you hear me, Larry? I can, Sharon. Okay, great. Good morning. This is Sharon B. Recovered joyfully in Louisiana. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Sharon B. in Louisiana, and I pass. Thanks so much, Sharon. Okay, Julie S., would you read the 12 traditions for us, please? Hi, Larry. Good morning, everybody. Can I be heard? You can. Okay, the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public means of communication. 12. Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Good morning, and I pass. Thanks so much, Julie. Okay, here's how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. And then, of course, press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're going to resume our study of the big book, and we are currently on page 38, uh, the third paragraph. It starts with some of you are thinking, and um, uh, Leslie's going to read through two paragraphs, and then we're going to have comments on both. So let me pass it along to Leslie M. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. This is Leslie M., a recovered compulsive overeater from Long Island, New York. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extreme two fellows did, nor are we likely to, for we understand ourselves so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen again. We have not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. 
That may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. Let us take another illustration. Um, Good morning, I'm Leslie M., a recovered compulsive overeater. And this reading um, just is so so important for me because I had to um, totally admit my powerlessness um, over uh, compulsive overeating before I could um, you know before I could get the recovery that I that I had wanted for so long um, you know it says here that you know um, we have not lost everything in life through drinking and we certainly do not intend to thanks for the information um, you know when I had all the information I needed I've been in 08 25 years um, and still it didn't it didn't get me to the point where I was totally powerless and where I, I could accept that the fact is that um, actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers. And that's what I needed to have done for me, was to have, have it smashed home to me because I am a, a real alcohol, a real uh, compulsive overeater, and I needed to know that I was entirely powerless, and that I needed to find a power greater than myself in order to, um, you know, have this disease removed from me, have the obsession, the mental obsession, and um, you know, without this, without this program and this big book, um, that could never have happened to me. Um, uh, you know, as I said, I'm a real compulsive overeater, and I thought that I'm best and that I should handle this. Um, you know, once once I accepted my powerlessness, I knew that, um, you know, that I had finally found the answer, which was sitting in front of me all this time, but I hadn't been ready um, to hear it. And uh, thank you very much, and uh, I pass. Thanks, Leslie. Appreciate that. Okay, we're on page 38, the third paragraph. We're commenting on two paragraphs. Who would like to share? Okay, I heard uh, Harlan, Matt. Who else? Barbara. Barbara. Dorita. Dorita. Katie. Take a, a couple more. Or not. Okay, here's who I heard. I think I heard Harlan. I hear this guy in my sleep. Um, no offense, Harlan. Matt, uh, Barbara, Tina, Dorita, Katie. Did I miss somebody? Okay, let's get started. Harlan, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you very much for your service. I'm Harlan Jean, a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was, it was said to me many, many years ago by someone much wiser than I 
that the depth at which I will absorb the doctor's opinion will mark the urgency with which I will work the rest of the 11 steps. This chapter, more about alcoholism, is about step one. And the main crux of the problem, as described in this chapter, is the thinking that precedes the first compulsive bite, the first drink. And what I have to understand is that this point that they're making, that my absolute inability to stop eating on the basis of self-knowledge is a point that they need to smash into my brain and keep smashing into my brain because as was said yesterday when we did the jaywalker, as much as this disease took from me, as much as it dragged me through the filth of pitiful degradation, demoralization, pitiful life, I will return to the food once again. I will go back because that is what compulsive overeaters do. The buildup of everyday human emotion is the problem. The pain, the searing, unrelenting pain of not eating is too much for me to bear. In search of a relief to that pain, I will seek out the one thing I know that will work, even though I forget what the food does to me, I will remember what the food does for me and I will eat it in search of that relief that Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. Now, there are two doors in front of me in any given minute of my life. In order to seek relief, I can either A, use door one, the food, and the food will work for about seven seconds, eight seconds to relieve me of that pain. It will give me momentary pleasure or I can work the steps and have a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps and have a lifetime of happiness. That's the door Carol Merrill is standing in front of. That's the one I want. I want the door that says work the steps, have a spiritual awakening. Because getting back to this, it says here, but the actual or potential alcoholic with hardly an exception, and I'm not an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge because my brain will focus in on what the food will do for me. The mental blank spot will eradicate any memory of what the food will do to me, and I will seek it yet again no matter how many decades of my life have gone down the drain because of Oreo cookies and Kit Kat bars. That is the nature of this illness, and only a spiritual awakening will arrest it on a one-day-at-a-time basis. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan. Boy, I'm getting old. I can remember Carol Merrill. (laughs) All right. Um, We have next uh, up, we have Matt followed by Barbara. Good morning, Matt. Thank you, Larry. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Compulsive Overeater from New Jersey. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I first got this disease, uh, I was always this way, but I was always arrogant, egotistical, and self-centered. But once I figured out what the real problem was, I was still very egotistical, self-centered, and selfish. I was like these people. Thanks for the information. Kiss my patoot. 
you know, I was basically one of those people who knew how, all the self-knowledge about myself because I was very introspective. I've always been very self-analytical to myself. I could tell you everything about myself. I was very easy at self-introspection, all that, all that good stuff. But none of that really worked when it came to this disease because there, I, I, my, my mind would be annihilated when I went for a Kit Kat bar, and then I wake up the next day after a hangover and wonder, what the hell did I do? Why did I do that? Because there's absolutely no reason for me to do it anymore. So I realized there was the, the peculiar mental twist took over. Once I had that first bite, the, the physical allergy took over me. So I was no, I was off to the races. There was no way I was going to be able to stop myself from a binge. And uh, it's true. It's absolute, I was absolutely unable to stop eating on the basis of self-knowledge alone. That's why I went to all these pain weight places, weight watches and the like. That's why I went to my doctor, asked him to put me on pain on uh, weight loss medication. He never did it, though. Um, that's why I was looking for somebody else to fix me because I couldn't fix myself on my own just based on what I knew about myself. I knew I was obese. I knew that I was 650 pounds. I wanted to get the weight off, but then I also wanted to keep right on eating. Those two things do not compute. They don't make sense. You know, you can't have, you can't have one and the other. You can only have one but not the other, you know, and I'm grateful today that I'm working on this and I'm working on my fourth step right now, working towards getting myself recovered so I can get get my head on right so I can go out and help others get theirs on right, you know, with their help taking them through the process. But I'm just grateful I'm here today and uh thank you for everybody in good service today. With that I'll pass. Thanks, Matt. Okay, we have Barbara next, followed by Tina. Good morning, Barbara. Hi everyone, it's Barbara E from New Jersey. Thank you so much for your service, uh, Larry, and everyone who has shared and everyone who will share. Uh, Yes, I always was a compulsive overeater. I always knew I had a problem from the get-go, but I always thought I had self-control, self-will. I could stop if I wanted. I just didn't know when I was going to want to. Was it going to be in 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds? When? And then, of course, there'd be a wedding, a bar mitzvah, some kind of an occasion that would warrant my going out in public. So I would be the kamikaze pilot of dieting. I would hang on by my fingertips. I would go to, as has been said, Weight Watchers, Diet Center, you name it. And I would do it. And I feel so good, finally. I was normal. I was at goal weight. The minute the event was over, I was off and running again. I didn't want to be, but I couldn't control myself. I wasn't ready for Overeaters Anonymous. I certainly wasn't ready to embrace the big book and understand that I needed a spirituality. When I came into OA, I was finally beaten down, ready to do what they said. So I embraced the tools, embraced them willingly. Now I'm at a turning point in my life. I'm still abstinent, and it's been 20 years. But I have had, I have to say it, a spiritual awakening. I've heard it said by one of my sponsees, actually. I came... I came to, I came to believe. And that's really been my journey. I came in 1997. I came to do it once and for all, but I wasn't interested in what you talked about 
with God or higher power. And finally, I came to believe. I pray for my defects to be removed every day, and I do it imperfectly. I say my prayers. I meditate. I will do anything at this point because I do not have another diet left in me. I am defeated. I'm willing to cede my control, my personal control, to someone, something out of my control. Thank you. I pass. Thanks, Barbara. Okay, we have uh, Tina followed by Dorita. Good morning, Tina. Thanks for your service, Larry. Uh, Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Some great stuff again. Uh, you know, I until I could really, really identify and know that I was absolutely unable to stop eating on the basis of self-knowledge. I wasn't to get anywhere. That's just my experience. You know, initially I was introduced to Overeaters Anonymous and the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in 1987. Now my uh, abstinence recovered date is 1999, so there's a little difference there. And you know, I was I was just like it was talked about here. You know, I went and got all this information, and you know, and thanks for the information. Thank you very much. But you know, certainly. You know, certainly I was not as bad as you, and I had this intellect going on that I knew that I could overcome. Well, you know, the the bottom line was, and it talks about it in the second paragraph here, you know, my brain and my body, you know, had to be damaged more, you know, and until I could really admit complete defeat, you know, to know on my own that I'm screwed, you know, I am totally powerless over food, and that my life is unmanageable by me for sure, you know, and lack of power is my dilemma, totally lack of power is my dilemma, and you know, if I don't do something different, I'm not going to get something different, and and if I continue to live in step one, which is powerlessness and unmanageability, I'll be living in disease, because the solution certainly is in steps two through 12, you know, and one day at a time, you know, and I say this to remind myself that it's one day at a time. It is what I'm doing today that matters. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter what I think I'm going to do tomorrow. It matters what I'm going to do today. You know, and I did this morning as I asked God to keep me sober, abstinent, and sane. And I know that when I do, He does. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Tina. Okay, we have Dorita followed by Katie. Dorita, good morning. Hi, Larry. My name is Dorita P. from Cleveland. And I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you so much, Larry. Thank you um, for your spirit. Thank you for your light and bright spirit. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so um says we admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes as you fellows did. And when I first came in, I was comparing myself, uh, especially my food. Uh, you guys were talking about eating um, half a gallons and gallons of ice cream, and and I just ate a pint, uh, but I was almost 300 pounds. So it was like, well, what was I waiting for, you know, to get four, five, six hundred pounds? Um, and then thanks for the information. That's funny. Um, you know, I tried so many things on my own. You know, I tried you know a thousand different diets and just a lot of things and. Um, I thought I could handle it, but um, like the second paragraph, you know, but the actual potential alcoholic, with hardly exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking 
on the basis of self-knowledge. I knew, I knew a lot, and I knew how to eat. You know, I went to dietitians, nutritionists, and the thousands of diets that I was on, I knew how to eat. I knew what to eat and what not to eat, but doing that, I, I couldn't do that. Um, so, you know, my mom says I have a hard head. You know, I broke my foot uh, three weeks ago, and you know, she's been dealing with me, and I can't remember what the subject was or what it was about. But she said, Dorita, do I have to hit you in the head with a brick? <laughs> and it was funny. <laughs> but I'm just, uh, yeah, you know, with this, you know, you know, what hit me in the head with a brick for this was just my experience. You know, I could not stop eating, you know, and I tried over and over again. And I was just this close, you know, a tad bit close. Uh, to getting the bariatric surgery, and um, and I knew, I knew that that only changed my body and not my mind. I know I needed something to change, change my mind. So I'm just really grateful that I found out what was wrong with me before it was too late. And uh, so with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Larry. Uh, thanks, Dorita. Okay, we got Katie, Katie G. What's up, Katie? Good. Good morning, Larry Kay. May I be heard? You can. Awesome. Good morning, guys. Katie G, recovered compulsive reader, anorexic bulimic, starting her timer in Boston, Mass. Woo! Love it, guys. Okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, me too. Although a little bit different, right? So, like, I'm in program. I'm abstinent, and um, I haven't yet been um, exposed to the steps. And what I find so interesting is. I had not lost everything through eating, and I certainly didn't intend to, but I'm like 25, and my life is getting smaller and smaller, and the only people I'm exposed to are those in my meetings, and I'm not eating, and I'm doing the, the 1,000 tools of Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm staying on the phone every day and doing everything, and I'm working at a job where I'm going to work and controlling the you-know-what out of everybody, and I'm sponsoring, and I'm competing with them, and I'm controlling them, and I'm condescending, and I'm rude. So I'm abstinent, <laughs> but I couldn't stop controlling and being crazy on the basis of self-knowledge. Like, <clears throat> I knew that going to work and telling people it's not acceptable to go to the bathroom on my time frame isn't okay, right? But, like, I couldn't stop doing that on the basis of self-knowledge. So my life kept getting smaller and smaller, right, until until I was exposed, in desperation, exposed to the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous and brought through them with a big book step study sponsor. <clears throat> like, I can't stop being the crazy KDG with my mental twist on the basis of self-knowledge. And, like, let's be honest, hours and thousands and millions of dollars in therapy offices. And therapists have a wonderful place. But I remember sitting there and saying to my therapist, I get that it hurts that my mom had an affair, that there was abuse and neglect and divorce and, you know, all this stuff. But when is talking about it going to change my actions? Like I'm, I'm going out and I'm binging right after therapy. It's not changing. And what can be maddening is like my husband can stop, like he goes out foolishly and he eats and drinks 
And the next day he kind of lounges around, and then he's fine, and he's exercising, and he can exercise normally or, like, go crazy with exercise and have no boundaries, you know, and he doesn't need a 12-step program to be a woman of Katie, we lost you there. Can you come, come Hi, back? I don't know what happened. Yeah, sorry oh, about that. Anyway, so, gotcha. so clearly God is ready for me to shut up. But I'm going to keep doing it one more day, guys, that, you know, we can't, I can't do this. No matter how smart I am, I can't do it. It's not about that. And I, um, I'm going to continue doing this because I'm recovered today, guys, but I am not cured, and I'm blessed to be one of you. And I'm going to keep showing up one day at a time. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Crazy, crazy technology. Okay, who else wants in on this? Leia S. Carly. Julia. Melissa C. Melissa C. Okay, here's who I heard. Um, I think I left someone out here. I heard Leia S. Nessa. Melissa. Carlisa. Julie S. Julie. Anybody else? Vasa O. Vasa. Julia R. Okay, Julia S. Julia R. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Okay, here's the lineup. We have Leia S. We have Nessa, Melissa, Carlisa, Julia S. Vasa, and then Julia R. Leia S., good morning. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, everyone. Such a beautiful meeting. Uh, Leia S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Brooklyn, New York. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers that it ha- as it has been revealed to us out of our bitter experience. And that's me, Leah, because I knew everything. I intellectually, I knew that um, this is what you're supposed to do and this is what how you're supposed to do it. I even knew how to prepare it, my goodness. <laughs> and yet, I used to have this um, feeling of, get out of my sight already, you know, I've had enough of you. And I used to think to myself, what's the matter with me? Why do I want these people out of here? I, I really enjoy their company. But you know what? I wanted to be alone with my food. I wanted to be able to binge upon binge upon binge. I had no idea that there is something going else going on or there is another way out of this. And this just used to be my solution. This really did. And there's just one more thing that is so sad about this disease. I know someone who I've really tried to help her, and she has tried to ask me to help her bring her into the program, and yet she didn't eat a whole day, and she's still the way she is, just sitting on that chair all the time. And then I heard that she had bariatric surgery this winter and has been so sick, sick, literally sick, And today she is a sick woman. Um, Some people it helps and some people it doesn't. One thing I know, I was unable to stop knowing all my intellectual uh, uh, knowledge. I was unable to stop. 
without coming into this program that has introduced me to the 12 steps and literally every single step. And um, with the doctor's opinion, you got everything. You got the whole program. If you really take it apart, the doctor's opinion can help. And it has helped me. And thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thanks, Leah. Okay, we have Nessa followed by Melissa, our Canadian friend up in up north. Nessa, good morning. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I think like everybody else on this line, I went to a million experts, nutritionists, endocrinologists, therapists, uh, exercise people, physiotherapy people, like, you know, all all kinds of experts, all kinds of experts. I know so much about nutrition. Um, I could be a nutrition. I could just hang my shingle outside my door and, and start, taking, uh, start taking clients. But, you know, like that didn't help me stop. Um, I mean, I guess I did stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. All my knowledge didn't really help me at all. Um, there's people in these rooms, too, who are walking uh, big books because they can quote every page, every verse, but, you know, they're walking around with a head full of big book and a belly full of food. And that is because, you know, as we fondly say in the room, information doesn't lead to transformation. Because the truth is, it doesn't really matter what I think, and it doesn't really matter what I know, and it doesn't really matter what I think I know. It matters what I do. It matters what I do. And what I do, what I did, was put down the food and work the, la- work the steps outlining the big book as if my life depended on it, because it does. It does, and I still do that. I still do that five and a half um, years later. I am still doing that. My, my, I'm, I'm still entirely abstinent. My food is still clean, um, and I still work the steps every single day. I still schedule my life around my program and not my program around my life because action is the main thing. It matters what I do. How much I know, it doesn't really matter because, you know, for, for, for four decades, you know, I struggled along with a ton of knowledge, but, you know, not much to show for it. Uh, now that I am actually living a big book, um, I am living the life um, that was given to me as a result of this recovery. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to do anything different. Uh, this is what I want to do the rest of my life because I want to keep what I have. I don't want to go back to what I was five and a half years ago. Uh, and you know, I, I just um, I keep repeating it's it's what I do today to stay well that matters. It's not how much I know. It's what I do. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Nessa. Okay, we have Melissa followed by Carlisa. Melissa, your turn. <laughs> Thank you, Larry, for your service. Carlisa C., recovered in Washington, D.C. Um, uh, so I knew for a long time that I could not put down food. And what I was less knowledgeable about was that I didn't want to put the food down. And then uh, I wasn't willing to put the food down because for for over 30 years, food had been the solution to every 
bit of comfort I ever needed. Um, and it was the solution whenever I had an extreme feeling, uh, whether it was joy or anger, that I would go to. So my willingness and my desire did not align with the fact that I could not put down the food. Um, so what happened? Uh, I got a medical diagnosis that I was going to die if uh, I did not start living like I um, was living and had been living. And again, I thought that willpower, <laughs> which is what we're told in our culture, is the answer to our gluttony. And, and it's just in those kind of harsh words, without compassion or empathy, you're, you're just a glutton. And so now all you need is self-will, willpower, to put the food down. Well, I had lost, what powerlessness means is that I had lost the ability to choose to put the food down. I couldn't. I tried for a minute or two, but the pain would be so excruciating until I couldn't do it. So I, when my doctor gave me that medical diagnosis, I tried for about 20 seconds to put the food down, but because the food was my solution, I went back to the food. Something had to get between me and my my my. Um, uh, just just incomprehensible pain, you know, the pain of unprocessed feelings, the pain of unprocessed living. Something had to get between me and it, and it wasn't willpower, and it wasn't self-will. I, had, I just was so desperate at some point in a binge that I said, God, you have to help me. God, you have to help me. And it wasn't my little God food that I had gone to, but but the God of my ancestors that had brought us through a whole lot of stuff. That's the God I went to, the supercharged God, who I didn't know, who I was mad with. But it was in that moment that I was absolutely desperate, absolutely bottomed out, and absolutely willing to go to any lengths to put down that food, and I got a solution. So something has to get between the compulsive eater and her drug, or the alcoholic and his drug. And uh, that only if you're real like me, real alcoholic, real compulsive eater, that has to be a, a power much greater than us. Let that power speak to you this morning. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Carlisa. Okay, Melissa, your turn. Hi. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, if knowledge were enough to um, affect a real lasting change, you know, when I was 10 years old and I went to the doctor, the pediatrician, and he put me on the scale, you know, he handed my mom this little, and me, this little pamphlet that explained, um, you know, um, how I need to lose weight. You know, it gave like a little, I remember it, it had this little picture of this girl on the front who was chubby and then next to her there was a picture of a of her thin you know and I remember giving getting that book and you know that would have been the end of the story I never you know thank you very much nine years old I would have gotten some information because I was I was you know smart little kid too and and I had a mom that loved me and um you know certainly was on board with getting some you know sound nutritional advice and um that would have been the end of my story but, um, you know, I needed to um, relearn this over and over and over again. And every time I thought I had a new piece of knowledge, 
Um, you know, my sick mind twists the information that I'm giving to always suit the, the desire to pick up. So, you know, it's like the, it's, I have alternative facts buzzing through my head. So, um, you know, I could write a book on diets. I could write a book on nutrition. Um, I came to OA in my early 20s, and I found out, for me, sugar and flour was the enemy. And thank you very much, and that's what I left with. And, you know, but after a period of time, um, my mind got this idea, well, it can't still be the enemy because look at you. You look normal. And um, you don't really have this problem because you have, all the pieces of what a good life is supposed to be, you're not nearly as sick as those people were. Um, so here, have a drink, you know, um, and, and that, that led me to 20 years of, of eating. Um, you know, and I think, like, I think for a second about my kids. You know, when I ask them to do something, they say, I know. Well, knowing it doesn't mean that it's ever going to get done. You know, when the doctor gives you a diagnosis, um, you walk out knowing what you have, that doesn't cure you. It's not enough. And it's the same thing with this disease of compulsive overeating. You know, um, I've shared with people on the line that I, we were having some struggles with my daughter, and thank God I found out some information. And that's helpful, but now I know that there's a course of treatment that I need to, to follow or that she needs to follow, that we need to follow to get her the help. And it's the same thing with this program of recovery. Getting some information is just a, just a little taste of it. But what we need to do is the whole deal so that we can recover. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, we have Julie S. followed by Vasa. Julie, good morning. Hi, good morning. Can I be heard? You can. Okay, good morning, everybody. This is Julie S. from Florida. Let me just get my timer going here. Okay. Um, what I wanted to share about this morning is the fact that um, through my abstinence in this program for the past couple of months, it's allowed for this awareness and more of a clear head. However, <laughs> You know, the, the danger of not fully conceding to my powerlessness, even though I'm abstinent and even though I am, you know, considered recovered, I've completed my steps, I'm living in 10, and, um, 10 11, and 12, it, it, you know, it, it's, it still is, is not enough because for, for me, yesterday I had a situation where I became frustrated with somebody and I immediately, you know, I'm, I'm living in 10, 11, and 12, so I grabbed my step 10 um, tools and I, and, and I worked through it, but I was still resentful after going through it. And um, what ended up happening to me was I ended up adding something to my food plan after dinner that was not on my food plan. And even though it was an abstinent item, it doesn't matter because I am, um, that's a compulsive behavior for me, which is adding a food that I did not plan and eating after dinner. And so I, I spoke to my sponsor last night about it. And, and, and what I learned is that, you know, even though I am living in 10, 11, and 12, I did not really complete and do a thorough step 10. And that, and that put me right back at, in, at the food. Because what I did was I was using food for non-nutritional needs. Unless I'm eating for non-nutritional needs, I am engaging in a compulsive um, behavior. And, you know, reading this, this 
um, paragraph, you, you know, that I'm un, unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. Here I am, you know, listening to this meeting every day, working with a sponsor, having a sponsee, doing a step 10, but it wasn't enough because it wasn't thorough. And that's the importance. It, it goes back to the steps for me, that if I am still resentful, that means God is not present in my life at that moment, and I will look for something to ease my resentment, ease that, that, that feeling that I am pissed off. And um, the worst thing that I learned from OA is take what you want and leave the rest. You know, that, that was just a bad concept for me because it's bad for my diseased mind that says I can refuse to do what I don't like. And um, today, thank God, as I'm sitting here this morning, I know now that if I'm still resentful, even after I have thought I worked to step 10, I need to go back and do it again because it's not done. And, and if I'm not living in 10, 11, and 12, these are just words and nothing, I, I will not keep my recovery. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thanks, Julie. Okay, we have Vasa followed by Julie R., Hey, Vasa, what's going on? Yes, thank you. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. And I am grateful Recover Compulsive Obeda calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And thank you all for your service this morning. And, um, okay, by the time I came to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, I was absolutely, absolutely unable to stop eating on the basis of self-knowledge. And it's not like I didn't want to stop. It's not like I didn't try. I tried many, many, many times, different kind of diets, but I could never stop. You know, I mean, I could do it for a little while, but I always went back to the food. I knew all about nutrition. I mean, I, as I, I've heard somebody else said, I could be a nutritionist today. I experimented, I measured, I weighed, I counted calories, I knew how much one app, how many calories one apple had, I knew about, you know, proteins, I knew all about it, but I was educated when I came to, I, it is, but I always say, I'm glad, I'm grateful that God led me in the 12 steps. At first, I remember saying, what is this, to give up my alcoholic foods? I mean, this is going to be torture. How am I going to do something that I really love? Well, those alcoholic foods were killing me. Gradually, little by little, I was dying. And I was really dying physically, emotionally, spiritually, without even knowing. I knew the food was killing me, but I didn't know how to stop, you know, and then I, I'm so grateful that I came, somebody gave me the big book and I, you know, and the doctor's opinion. I learned about the allergy, the, you know, the toxic foods that I was putting in my body that were killing me and the mental obsession. And I said, I, nobody had to convince me. I knew. Nobody had to diagnose me. I knew from inside of myself what I was doing and what, and then I learned what I needed to do. So for me, it was just put the food down, and I heard work the steps they, the way they laid out. And I thought I just needed to put the food down in my life. I'm going to get into my bikini for the summer, you know, and I'm just going to be 
okay, my life was going to be perfect. I thank God I stayed. No, I came for the vanity. I stayed for the, for the sanity. I don't want to take too much time. But, again, this is where the transformation comes, working the steps, and I was ready, to, I was ready and willing to surrender. And, and I did, and I've been doing this on a daily basis. We're not with just the food, everything in my life. Thank you, Larry, for your service, and thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thanks, Vasa. Okay, Julie R., good morning. Hi, good morning. This is Julie R. from California, but currently near Cancun. And, you know, this paragraph talks about, you know, some of us who have lost everything. You know, yeah, I didn't lose materialistic things, but I lost the most important thing. Who was the authentic Julie, which is driven by a creator, right? So what did the food do to me? Well, it it kept me alive, um, you know, through traumatic things, and then I would go to it, blah, blah, blah. But it's like here I am sitting in an all-inclusive, which means all you can eat and all you could drink. And I'm coming up um, this time about three years being recovered. And, you know, it's freedom. I weigh and measure all of my food all of the time. My disease does not go on a vacation. It's not a burden. It's a freedom. I'm here enjoying so many things. This is my seventh day here. If I was not recovered, I would be eating the buffets 24-7. I would be sneaking food so my husband doesn't see it. My pants wouldn't have fit the third day. I would be in my room saying I didn't feel good so that I could eat everything in the refrigerator and then go to the seven restaurants that I have available. I would then not want to be social with my husband and with the couple that we travel with. I would turn into an angry, vengeful woman. But here I am, day seven. My pants are actually looser because I've been walking so dang much. I am. Um, I make my phone calls. I pray and meditate as soon as I wake up, like it says. I do a ten step because I got upset because um, they didn't. I eat a lot, uh, the right things. And the waiter, I said, you know what? Why don't you talk to the other waiter because he had it down perfect. And he said, no, no, no. So when I got my food, it wasn't what I needed. And so I did my spiritual toolkit, and I texted somebody a 10-step, and she came back with, oh, the sun and the moon in Cancun doesn't revolve around Julie. Don't they know who you are? And immediately I got out of it and said, wow, this guy is doing the best he can. He can't even start to speak English. He doesn't understand I need three helpings of vegetables and two salmons and whatever. And it was like, wow. Thank you, God. My resentment was gone. Gave him a big tip. I got what I needed. <laughs> but, you know, here I am. I am free. I don't want the food. I don't, I don't obsess about it. I'm kind, caring, compassionate. And when I do get upset, I work the program because my life does depend on it because I almost lost everything. And I am so happy to be here. And thank you, Larry. I'll pass. Thanks, Julie. Okay, we got time for maybe two more shares. Who wants to take those? Dorita for 30 seconds. Dorita, okay, and somebody else? Monica. Hey, Monica. Okay, Dorita, go ahead. Hi, my name is Dorita. I'm a compulsive overeater from Cleveland. I just wanted to say something for the newcomers. 
you know, after reading the doctor's opinion and after we're entirely abstinent, uh, we, uh, for me, I'll just speak for me. You know, I don't crave those things. I don't crave ice cream. I don't crave chocolate. I don't crave those things. So I'm okay to do, I'm okay to eat what I eat happily. Um, and I want to say one other quick thing and now it left me, um, Oh, and then the big book says, too, you know, if we can't uh, uh, eat or or do what we need to do happily, then we still have an alcoholic mind or uh, an unrecovered mind. That's all I want to share. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Dorita. Hey, Monica, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So more about alcoholism, more about this crazy thinking that I have, more of what's going to happen to me if I don't work these steps. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We'd admit we have some of these symptoms, but we haven't gone to the extremes you fellows did, nor are we likely to. For we understand ourselves so well after what you've told us that such things cannot happen. Now, I haven't, and so what's going on in this paragraph? You know, we're seeing a couple of things here. That admission is not enough. Just admitting I had a problem was not enough. And then the other thing that is so, so important here, it's, it's comparing. If I'm busy comparing and not identifying, I am never going to get this. And it's because it's I'm not going to be willing to do anything. And so they're trying to point these things out, you know. Don't compare. I want you to identify. Identify with this, with what we're saying. And then they're going on in the next paragraph. But the actual or potential alcoholic with hardly an exception, and here comes some squiggly writing, critical information here. We will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. We wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash. There's nothing gentle about smashing home upon our alcoholic readers. Because we've been through this. Our experience has shown this to us. We're trying to save you a little bit of time here. You know, that no matter how much you think you know about all of this stuff, that's not enough. This is an action program. And the thing that's going to make the difference is the action. You know, and Monica had to learn this the hard way, too. You know, I'm a smart cookie. Oop. <laughs> I'm a smart person. And I was, you know, got all kinds of things. I know all this stuff, you know, like everybody else said, I was a walking dietitian, you know, or thought I was, but it didn't work for me. It wasn't enough. All that knowledge didn't do it. What changed was working the steps, working the steps, all of them in order the way the big book tells me to. That's what made the difference. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Monica. In fact, thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The, uh, the share ID for this uh, 7 a.m. meeting is 9929. That's 9929. And now we're going to close uh, with a reading from the big book on page 164. And uh, Katie, would you be able to read that for us? I can, Larry. May I be heard? Thanks. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, G, recovered, compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic, grateful. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.